Live Sound Bootcamp, brought to you by Rational Acoustics, developer of SMART, the industry's leading sound system measurement and optimization platform. Welcome to another episode of Live Sound Bootcamp. I'm Brendan Draper, here with my co-host, Joe Santarpia and Ryan John. What's back up? Back to it. We got the whole team. Whole teams. In we the got building. the band back together. Full squad. <laughs> <laughs> so what are, what, are, what are we talking about today? What's what's the next input after, what was our last episode? Everything metal on a drum kit? All the metals. Yeah, so what's the, the, what's the input after the metal drum kit? It's uh, what it's all about, right? Yeah. Mm. Good joke. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> was that was that a joke? Are you considering that a joke? I'm sorry. It's all about that base. I'm not trying to clown you. Yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah. I'm not trying to clown you. I think Joe hasn't slept enough lately. <laughs> <laughs> Joe's been doing a bunch of gigs, so. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> then again, I, I had to wake up at uh, 3.45 in the morning to get to a TV show this morning to do a TV gig. And for anyone that uh, seems to think that the impression of doing you know live sound uh, as a career is going to be easy and fun and partying all the time. Yeah, not when you're doing things like the ABC Morning Show, NBC, Fox, any of that stuff. It's ungodly early hours. Yeah. I think it was only fun in like the 60s and 70s, right? When no one cared about anything and everyone was just doing acid all the time. Yeah, or like drinking whiskey right. on set. Just like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The mad, oh, the Mad Men days. How we long for those. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, e- equality, um, you know, no sexism, none of those things. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Long for that, like you wouldn't believe <laughs> All right, so, oh, so tell me about bass. Um, yeah. What do we, what if, what are, uh, you know, what's, what's the first thing that runs through your mind when you're, you're, you're thinking about, okay, I got to get bass through the PA at this gig. What do you, what are you trying to figure out? Uh, I think li- like the things we've talked about prior to this, yeah, yeah, you have to, you have to figure out what you're looking for. A lot of that's very genre specific, you know, um, a, a punk rock bass sounds completely different than an R and B bass or a funk bass or something like that you know you got picking versus plucking and there's you know you, you have to figure out what sound the bass player is trying to make and like what's appropriate for that type of music i, f- I feel like bass is like generally um kind of just assumed to be basic and i don't mean that as a pun i mean it's a good pun and i probably should have done that on purpose mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but like when you go and listen to a bunch of records and you go and listen to like 90s R&B and then you go and listen to jazz and then you go and listen to a metal band and you go and listen to all these different things, the bass tones are vastly, vastly different. Yeah. Even though it's like very often literally the same instrument being played. Like it, there could be a P bass on any of those. All, yeah, any or all of them. You know? And I wouldn't say that means the source is the same because, you know, exactly as you just laid out, right? It could be picking, it could be, you know, fingers, it could be slap bass could be running through different pedals could be running through different amps but like the end result tone is so vastly different across all of those so you know having the conversation with the artist or listening to all the records and just trying to figure out what you think their intent is and all that um i think with bass it probably matters way more so than a lot of other instruments would you would you agree it's it's I, it's, it's a foundation instrument for sure sorry brendan i didn't mean to cut you off 
Well, I was going to say yes, and it probably depends on the situation you're in, too, because I feel like working, like, at least from, like, a smaller venue, smaller band, like, not as much production elements or, like, you know, big budgets, it seems like you never get, like, really asked a lot to, like, focus on the bass, you know? It's kind of just like, there it is, put a DI on it, let's go, like, I mean... Yeah, Dude, like you don't I, get. I couldn't scru- agree more. It doesn't get scrutinized when you're in that setting, you know. So right, and I think yeah. I think that's why I mentioned it at all. Is because if I look back to, I don't know, my 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 first bunch of gigs, I don't think I gave a shit about the bass. I just like be like, cool, now there's bass, and I can hear it. There's some in the subs. Cool, done. Right, yeah. right. And also, that's a good point. If I look back to that time period, uh, th- it was bass amps on stage that were typically loud as shit Mm -hmm. they were loud and and you'd be like i don't really need to put much of this in the pa or whatever and and subsequently the tone that you had for the show was just what was coming off the stage and maybe you just kind of like added a tiny bit in to kind of round it out right Mm -hmm. yeah if you're working at a smaller venue and the bass player is loud yeah there might not be have to there might not be much you are have to do or able to do you know it's just like well there it is that's that's what the bass sounds like, you know. Right, and and you know, given that, I, I guess that's kind of like a thing of of you're at the mercy of the stage at that point, right? So if the yeah. if there is insane stage volume off of like an eight by ten fridge Ampeg cab, um, yeah, you could put it in the PA, but you're not gonna like fill in the mid range because the cab's already doing that in the room. Yeah. Um, I remember there were some shows I did where like we actually had like a a, a dB limit and the bass cab on stage on its own. Uh, put us over the limit yeah cool. that was not fun i feel like a, a, a bass amp that's too loud is maybe the most offensive uh you know thing that could be too loud I more feel than like the guitar I, amp that's so loud I, I feel like to to a mix yeah i feel like it it will it will fuck a mix more than mm. you know. I, I could agree with that because at mm. least at least guitar amps are a little bit more directional yeah. if you're not standing right in front of it it's not like in a ruin you know the whole thing, but the bass amp that's gonna make a mess of everything. It's just yeah, you're 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 done. You're cooked. If that thing's yeah. like you know devastatingly loud, you're done. Yeah. Though so I think it is less. It's less frequent though, right? Like it's always right. the guitar or the cymbals <laughs> that are like really fucking you up. But like yeah, yeah if the bass was loud as hell, that's that's gonna be a bad situation that you can't really control. So so let's talk about cabs cabs and 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 things like that right so i'll say you know in in recent years the the number of cabs i'm seeing on bass amps is it is literally it's it's reducing significantly right it used to be you'd have these giant eight by ten uh ampeg cabs on every band and for some stupid reason they wouldn't share (laughs) there'd be like five (laughs) bands and they'd all bring up their own you know the eight by ten bass cab and they'd they'd have the same bass cab the same head and they wouldn't share yeah (laughs) it was was miserable but like i feel like nowadays with you know all these things like kempers and 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 some of these great you know di type pedals like the dark glass stuff and things like that it's it's becoming a little bit less and less so Mm -hmm. what about cabs do you like there's you know and a lot of bass players would probably agree head cab combo or do you mean like cab specifically or just like having an amp i mean having an amp and having I, an I, amp I, right, I, right. I don't mean that as a facetious question yeah in that, like i'm trying to pretend that they're all garbage because they're not because right. yeah. there's no, no, great stuff there 
on on a stage aside from being like the personal monitor sort of, so to speak you know that you have mm-hmm. you have a knob for and can control and kind of r- ride throughout the show as you need to um there is like there's some there's some saturation stuff going on that that kind of defines the tone in a lot of ways you know um i don't know i, I agree a million percent brennan yeah. um i think like the fact of having the amp there as your personal the bassist personal monitor and the band's personal monitor for the bass <laughs> is actually like a good thing in a lot of situations because you know that's what they're used to when they're rehearsing and True. i think bassists usually like to feel it and they're not going to get that from the monitors all the time right like yes that's that's a great point you know it and it's not the same feeling if bass is distributed in wedges all around the stage for everyone to hear it's not the same feeling as having that amp there maybe it doesn't need to be as loud as the amp is but you know then you've got it everywhere in the monitors from yeah. like seven different sources <laughs> throwing bass and around the stage you know? true, i'm sure we've true. talked about this in a previous episode too but bass requires tons of energy to reproduce in a speaker right yeah and if you have small wedges i don't know 10 inch drivers or or even 12 inch drivers you're going to be using a lot of the power that is available to that wedge and i don't mean like literal watts but you know you're going to be using a lot of the capability of that speaker in order to to be spreading bass around the stage so literal literal watts literal watts you know but yeah, there's a benefit to having a bass amp there that's kind of distributing the sound universally across the players, and then you can get away with putting less of it in wedges and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, as as Joe said, uh, there is definitely a saturation that comes from that cap. You know, the speakers, especially mm-hmm. in rock and roll, the speakers start to like distort a little bit, grit up a little bit. It's kind of what makes bass and like rock guitars merge pretty mm-hmm. well together. Mm-hmm. is the sound of like the speakers kind of like you know crunching up or whatever so i i really like a bass cab's tone like the actual mm-hmm. sound from the cab uh, but at the same time i find the low end in it pretty much useless like like yeah. actual low low yeah 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 true like you know so so for the lows what are you guys using di man <laughs> yeah that, that one was kind of an obvious setup wasn't it <laughs> so tell me about a di what's a di uh, Direct injection box. It's a, something that takes a, a high impedance instrument signal and converts it either with, hopefully with transformers, into a... Got a nice one. Right. Into a lower impedance line level what signal. What is it converting it with? <laughs> mic level signal, my friend. I'm sorry, mic, mic level. level. I'm, I'm sorry. Host number I'm sorry. three, you're fired. Fired. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus if anybody wants to uh, apply to be a host for this show, uh, <laughs> there's a new position available. <laughs> yeah, we got we got an opening. If up. it's not converting it with transformers, what is it converting it with? Uh, there are active DIs that do it in like IC circuits and stuff like that. Yeah, you know, op amps. Yeah, but you know one of one of the one of the nice perks of the transformer is that there's no physical connection between the instrument side and the you know output if you will side right because that's what a transformer does it's it's windings on one side windings on the other side and the magnetic flux in between them kind of passes the signal between them induction induction right that whole thing is really cool because it kind of theoretically can you know break ground loops and stuff like that and all sorts of stuff um but let's not talk about the technicalities of like what you know (laughs) di's can be used for but like let's talk about di's in the context of bass yeah um 
Brendan, you know, how does how does a, a DI on a bass work for you? Like, what I do you mean, do with it? a lot of times it's the one option that I have. You know, depends on the gig, but um, it gives me like a clean signal of the bass, right? So, like everything, depending on where you put it, and I, we'll talk about that in a second. But it gives me like a clean signal of like you know what the bassist is putting into their amp, right? So, if they've got pedals and stuff, I'm taking a DI after that and I can reproduce that bass's sound in the PA without bleed in a microphone or anything like that. So I think that's kind of the, the big ben- benefit of it. Yeah. I guess the big win no is bleed, that there's no you know? bleed. And right, especially for all. like throwing things in subs, yeah. you know, you're not getting any feedback from throwing a ton of bass in the subs, um, off a of DI, you know? So, yeah, yeah, totally. But are there other, other, Oh, yeah, so go for it. Well, well, so so what about pulling a DI from the back of an amp head, right? Because plenty of amp heads on the back of it or on the front of it, if it's you know a Galleon Kruger or whatever, you know many of them, uh, they've got an XLR out on them. Yeah. You know what's what's your stance on on using that versus a DI that's at the end of the chain or versus even like a pedal that has a XLR. I mean, out? my stance on it is that for convenience sake, it's awesome. Because, (laughs) (laughs) you know, if you're in a tight spot, you know, depending on what the show is, you know, and what equipment's available, you could just plug right in and go for it. But in like uh, experience with it, it fails sometimes because sometimes those are made shittily and (laughs) and they have ground loops. And (laughs) and depending on what's what's happening with the rest of your system, I've experienced a lot of times where you can't get rid of the buzz no matter what you do. And so throwing a DI that you can ground lift on top of the amp um, as a replacement for that is usually the, the way I go. Um, but I don't know. Do you guys have other experience with those things that are good or bad or they can, they can be, they can be great. Sure. Um, you're, you know, you're getting the differences, you know, between a pre amplifier DI, sorry, let me rephrase that. Like an amp, a DI that's p- right. before the amplifier, um, mm-hmm. You know, you're getting a completely pure, clean bass tone, whereas those outputs on the back of amps, it's usually after the, the preamp on the, the amps the, EQ exactly. and stuff. So yeah. you're getting all the tonality of the amp, which is which can be great. It can also screw you as an engineer, though. So it's important to be mindful. You know, think about your signal chain. If the player changes something on the front of the amp, you know. And there are different pickoff points for those things. You know, some of them mm-hmm. are pre-Q or pre-this or pre-that, but usually, like, they're not pre-preamp gain. You know, there's right. uh, so if the bass player touches that gain in the middle of the show or dimes it or something like that, you know, they probably won't, but just something to be aware of, then that's going to happen on your end, too. And mm-hmm. um, so, you know, just something to be mindful I, of. I find that a, a large number of them are kind of just fixed post-EQ. So the EQ that's on the amp head is going to affect that DI output. Yeah. You know, there, there's there's plenty where they've got the little switches where you can, you know, little buttons or whatever where you can kind of choose to pick off, but there's also plenty that are just post EQ. So, you know, just being aware of that and knowing that the front panel EQ on that uh, amp is going to affect the signal coming to you yeah. is pretty important. And truth is, uh, bass cabs are never the same as PA right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're never going to have, uh, well, maybe, but unlikely to have a dual 18 cab uh, for your bass cab. You're more likely to have like a 410 or 810 or 610, like where, where the speakers in the cabinet are smaller, 
right? Mm -hmm. So the EQ that you would apply to get a cool sounding bass tone out of those speakers is not necessarily relevant for the EQ you're going to try and apply to get a cool sounding tone out of dual 18 subs or dual mm -hmm. 21 subs or even a you know flown line arrays or whatever it may be. So taking the out from the back of an amp, if it has that EQ applied to it, might actually be worse than taking a DI that's before it, mm -hmm. uh, you know, before the amp head, hmm. because it doesn't have this EQ applied to it. You know what I mean? Right, right. And, you know, it, it, it's, it's, sometimes it works really well, sometimes it doesn't. But, you know, as long as you're aware of that fact, the, the, the fact that very often those DIs are post-amp EQ, uh, you know, you can manage it however makes the most what, sense for what you. About, what about yeah. those boxes yeah. that take the output of, uh, of the amp head, you know? They're like speaker like cab. DI, like a speaker cab or sim box. Or just or just speaker uh, DIs that have the speaker, uh, you know, yeah. capability or whatever. I mean, is just, that yeah, similar to taking out of the back the DI out of the back of the amp head in a way? It's similar, but most of them seem to apply some sort of EQ that kind of emulates a microphone in front mm. of the speaker, right? And, and those exist for guitar amps too, right? Things like the Palmers and stuff like that. And the idea there is basically emulating a mic'd up cab signal, mm. but with zero bleed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. they're, they're, they're usually pretty cool. But, you know, as I said, like one of my favorite things out of a bass amp is, is the speaker breakup and like some of that little bit of overdrive you can get out of them. And I am yet to find, um, you know, a, a speaker emulation box for, for a bass system that kind of does it in the same way. Mm -hmm. cool. So what about mic placement, mm -hmm. mic choice, all that stuff? Any favorites? I like the, I like the Heil PR40. I'm, I'm talking into one right now, actually. You sound nice and bassy. See that? Yeah, I guess when you, when you get up close. Probably, yeah. oh, I was gonna, I was gonna make a joke that I probably shouldn't. Something about plucking your strings. I don't oh know. boy. Okay. Okay, boys. Keep it PG thirteen here. So, so what do you like about the PR forty? Um, there's some, uh, there's some like three K kind of like presence going on. That's, uh, that's like nice, but not harsh for bass. I find. Um, yeah, it's cool. So, so when you take something like a PR forty and position it on a bass cab, like where is, is there a typical location? Like, um, you know, like what, what's your usual? Like how do you, how do you how do you go at it? I'm 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 usually going kind of like just head on, you know, just just right there, front and center. It's kind of a big mic. I don't know if you can see, but it's like it's <laughs> like two and a half, almost three inches across, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's like pretty wide, and it's front address. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, you're like pointing the top of it if you will at yeah yeah so um yeah just like head on you know um i'm, I'm you, you you go dead center on the speaker outer edge in between dead center on the, the dust cap yeah dead center on the cone i'm trying to like i'm trying to get as much energy into that microphone it's more of a, it's, it's more because of the bleed thing May, maybe the frequency response like you know might not be exactly what i want but it's it's more of a bleed thing too you know just like get as much signal into there versus other shit as I can, you know? What, what about yourself, Brendan? Uh, this is a aspect where I actually haven't had the opportunity to use it that much. Um, I don't know, working at venues, like... Kind of DI is the go-to. It's usually DI is the go-to, and with the smaller shows and bands I've been working with, I, I haven't done front of house for, like, huge bands. I've done monitors, and... <laughs> 
we we use like a tele one of those like telefunken not m80s but the bigger ones uh i forget what it was what it's called but um like the, yeah. the kick mic basically yeah the kick mic the telephone kick mic 82 i think 82 yeah. that sounds right yeah yeah i mean that that sounded great to me when we were using it on tour um but but yeah this is something i'm actually interested in learning more about and like experimenting with so i'm kind of like in the market to like on this next tour i'm doing maybe get a a bass cab mic and try it out and try, right you know right. try and find something you know um I think the bass cab mic is so dependent on what you're trying to get out of the cabinet, right? Right, right. Because, you know, Brendan, as you said, and, and Joe, you know, you as well, you, you guys both use DIs as well, right? Primarily, really. Yeah, I mean, so it, yeah. So if you're doing that, then when you stick a mic on the cab, you got to have like a very particular intent. Like you, you're trying to do something specific with that, right? So for me, I actually tend not to pick a bassy microphone for it. Right. Um, and that's because I, I, I'm going to take the actual low, low end from the DI. From the DI, yeah, exactly. And then, you know, the kind of mid-range of the bass is what I might get out of that mic. So if I've got, let's say it's a rock band, and I've got like that kind of 57 uh, on a cab tone for the guitars, I might take a 57 and put it on the bass cab. And that might help me kind of bridge that gap between where the guitar's low end kind of drops off and the bass's low end kind of starts together. Now it yeah. starts to come back in. Um, if I want it to be like, I don't know, kind of like thicker sounding, I might take something like a, like a 451. Cause that's like a pretty meaty mic in like the, I don't know, 110 to 300 range. And, you know, just like you said, right up on the grill, you know, you get that proximity effect too. So it like meets it up even more. Right. Um, cool. I've even taken a 58 and put it on it. it it's, it's to me, it's all about getting the mid range to kind of work really well. Uh -huh. Um, uh -huh. You know, one thing that's interesting is, you know, you, you mentioned one of the cool things about the PR40 is that it's got this kind of like 3K bump, right? This upper upper frequency thing. Yet we're sticking it on a 10-inch speaker, right? A 10-inch speaker that barely puts out 3K. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and, you know, many of these bass cabs, they've got like, well, not many, some of them, they've got like a little horn as well, like right in the middle of the cab. And then, you know, four tens or something like that, right? And we tend to ignore that horn. And... I, I I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm saying it's a good thing because usually the, the horn sounds kind of terrible. Yeah. It works for standing in front of it, but um, you know we're taking a mic and sticking it in front of a 10 inch speaker, and like what you get out of that 10 inch speaker that's in that 3K range tends to be kind of cool. It's not like it's super weird. bright and crispy. It's like yeah. kind of like almost like overtony, overdrivey type. Yeah top end mm. and that's not in the di the di right. does not have that at all right right so for me i tend to use the di as like like the scoop it's it's the bottom bottom and then the top top yeah and then the mic is kind of the whole middle right and it's it's also kind of cool having those on two separate faders because if you want your bass to kind of tuck back and be like less like uh forward but still audible you take down the microphone and that right like, pulls back some of the mid-range and then yeah. it, you know sits as like a little bit of that like you know the bose sound you know the scoopy thing yeah but then if you want the bass to be forward you take that microphone and bump it up a little bit so i kind of use them as eq faders you know what i mean absolutely absolutely yeah same same absolutely cool. it's so, like yeah what about what about you guys with combining mic and di is there anything in particular you guys feel you have to do 
Well, I think the first the first place to go, even before touching EQ and anything like that, is the phase relationship between the two, because you can mm-hmm. you can basically EQ it that way, you know. Basically, right. oh boy, <laughs> it's uh, they're uh, you know putting them like in phase, as they say, like isn't always the is isn't always the move. And what I mean by that is like you know. In, in if you went to audio school, probably not. If you're listening to this, uh, you you're going to audio <laughs> school right wow. now. Maybe, maybe, yeah, yeah, <laughs> for free. Um, if uh, you know, they tell you, they tell you, you know, you flip the phase, and whichever one has more low end, that's the one where it's in phase. You know, and sure, yeah, like sort, yeah, I guess at sort some of. frequency, yeah, sort of, you know, we're not, we won't get into the tech, the technical behind that, but all I'm saying is, you know, with the bass sometimes, you know, there's, there's a lot of low end in that shit. And, you mm-hmm. know, as you're combining a mic and cab, the summation of that, like all that shit in phase, that might not be what you want. And you flip that polarity and all of a sudden there's like presence to the bass. Like the low end is still there. Um, a lot, but, but it's canceling out at all the right places potentially, you know, um, that's something to explore. Is all I'm saying. Before no, you even, so, yeah. No, up? go ahead. Go ahead. I was just, I was gonna say before you even touch EQ, compression, all that stuff. Just have a listen and like flip around. Also, time delay. You know, the time a time differential. Yeah. If you have a digital console, you can you know use a delay on one of the channels. Uh, probably the DI. You know, because that's gonna be the one that's arriving first. Technically, you know, out the gate. Um, so that's so, that's all cool. Yeah. So so let's dig in just for a moment. You know just to the, 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 the top surface of, of the technicals here, right? So when your bass hits a DI, you've got an electrical signal being converted straight into an electrical signal that goes right into your desk, right? Yeah. So there's no additional time delay, nothing nothing complicated there. It, there's delay everywhere, but like, yeah. Right, yeah, right, yeah. but marginal. Less, right? less, yeah. Okay, on the other end of things, you've got your bass, this electrical signal, whatever, goes into your amp head, now your amp head has whatever it's got going in there. If it's digital head, there's definitely going to be some latency. But you know, let's let's remove that for a moment, and then it gets turned into physical acoustic energy. The speaker takes um, you know a little bit of you know time to kind of create what it Oof. creates. Yeah. Then there's the literal air between the speaker and the microphone. The sound needs to travel through that. That takes some time. Then it gets to the microphone. Blah blah blah. Converted back to electrical energy. Now we're taking this electrical energy. Uh, from the DI and merging it with this electrical energy from the mic that both of which are a little bit out of time with each other and depending on what you've got going on electrically in like the amp head or even in the cable between the amp head and the cab or even the way the the cab speakers are wired up you could be inverting polarity of of what's happening but also there's, there might be phase shift and a bunch of other things because of um, you know EQs that are applied in the head or or some of the saturation circuits or compression circuits in the in these amp heads. So you could be you know combining some like kind of quite different signals that maybe out of both polarity and out of time you know with one yeah. another, and then that's where you get this thing that Joe's describing, which Dif- is effectively different. kind of comb filtering, but yeah. you know this comb filtering of these different sounds. And, you know, what he's saying is that the two being perfectly in time isn't always the solution for the tone you're trying to go for. Exactly. Precisely. And, and, and sometimes, like, having them be technically out of polarity kind of 
cuts that messy low mid that like maybe was making the bass muddy. Yeah, yeah. But but the moment you flip it, now you've got this like round bottom end. That muddiness is kind of gone, and like your top end's like suddenly crispy or something like yeah, that. Yeah, you know. Suddenly you can hear it even. You know, it's like it, maybe before it's inaudible. You know. So it's it's another one of those things of like being aware of what the function of the polarity switch is doing there is is super important. It, right. It, that's that's neat. none of us telling you what that it should or should not be in polarity because that is totally a taste choice that kind of goes back to the first question. You know, what are you looking for in your bass tone? Do you think that also makes a difference? Like, let's say you're just using a DI and you've got the bass amp on stage and you've got a PA that the DI signal that you're sending through the PA is like pushing at the same time as the bass amp on stage is like, I don't know how I, I haven't really thought about trying to hear that before, but maybe that's, you know, something to think I mean, about as technically, well. Technically, yeah. Yeah. Technically, yeah, right? There's there's then speakers on stage that might be, I don't know, six feet, eight feet, ten feet away from where the subs are, right? Mm-hmm. From like a you know, a linear perspective. And it's coming out of those speakers uh on stage, but at the same time, well, not literally, but you know, similar time is coming out of the subs. Mm-hmm. That's gonna hit an audience's ear or chest or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, you know, at a different time. Right. So maybe maybe it is something to be aware of if you're in a room where like the onstage volume is significant. Yeah. Hmm. Cool. Interesting question though. There's an argument so, there's an argument for like delaying a whole PA to the back line. Mm-hmm. You know, right? You know? Yeah. Yeah, I've done it before. I've seen it done. Yeah. So what about other processing you do on I don't know. I guess. I guess either DI mic, both oh, a bass yeah. group. Oh, that you know? stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so okay, let's start. Let's start with the basics. High pass filter, Brendan. Hit me. I up. actually find myself doing it more often than I used to do, because I want to make room for the kick drum. To be honest, like in the sub frequencies, and I feel like it just cleans things up. Usually, like a not a really harsh bypass filter but like a you know like a soft slope just to kind of like comb out some of that like real 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 low stuff um and just give the kick more more bottom end you know or more more, more space. space yeah so is is there a frequency you tend to kind of gravitate towards uh, or land on like more often I think than like not? 80 ish with like no oh, wow okay like well yeah between between 50 and 80 depends on what it is you know I think me saying, oh, wow. Yeah, it did. It did. Made me rethink. Is like, <laughs> is it 80? I, <laughs> is it? I'm like on like on analog consoles doing it. I'm like, all right, well. Well, in half the analog consoles, you just have one button and it's just like high pass on yeah. wherever the hell the console decided it <laughs> yeah, should be. Exactly. Uh, um, Joe, how about yourself? Definitely, definitely high pass, um, you know, for the DI or whatever, for the, for the DI, AKA the source that I'm like relying on for the low end. Um, you know, maybe like 30, 20, 20, 30 hertz, you know, maybe even as high as 40 if it's like a super, super subby room. But then with the, with the uh, mic, like you were saying, that's more for, that's not for the low end, you know? So I'll go up pretty high with that. And, and low pass too. Sometimes, you know, just find this like weird, um, I'm making kind the of hand motion right chunkiness now. or something. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, so how high do you go when you say you go pretty high? Oh, dude, um, you know, 400 sometimes you know yeah Yeah. i mean sometimes yeah i mean depending depending on the style of music you know i would say for for like rock like yeah maybe somewhere up there um 
if you're doing like a funkier soul soul kind of thing or and you want that kind of vintage tone it might i might allow the mic to occupy a little more of that space and maybe scoop it out of the, the uh out of the di but and you said you you also low pass sometimes how yeah. far do you go there oh on the on the mic i mean it depends you know it really it depends i don't know and and 5K. do you low pass the di ever sometimes sometimes depends on what it sounds like what i'm going for you know and if it's buzzing it's really noisy. Bad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so you low pass it to get rid of the buzz yeah, or the you know yeah maybe hey sometimes sometimes that ground lift doesn't work sometimes it doesn't sometimes, sometimes there's it nothing it worse. you can do yeah sometimes it's set yeah. time and it's like well here we go so, um you know, I, I appreciate that you said that you kind of band past the mic because I do the same thing. And it, it's it's like what I was talking about earlier. You know, I, I'll, I'm, I'm in the same frequency range as you're talking about with the mic sometimes. You know, sometimes it's as high as 400, and, you know, just because I want, you know, the mid-range or like, you know, the upper mid-range. Something yeah. where like it just kind of pokes through a bit. The picking, yeah, the presence, yeah. you know. Yeah. And then other times maybe it's, maybe it's 150 because I want that kind of like meatiness. Mm-hmm. But no doubt though, the the microphone itself is picking up bleed from the subs it's picking up bleed from wedges it's picking up you know kick drum and all sorts of other stuff that's happening on stage yeah and cymbals yeah so getting rid of as much of that as possible is just going to help you clean up your bass tone Yeah. yeah so what about um you know compression that kind of thing do you do you compress di's or mics differently from one another separately the same thing do you do them in a group like what's 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 a normal thing i'd i'd probably do it in, in a group if i was doing mic and di at the same time just to have it squished together a little bit you know rather and have less processing on it um i mean they're both acting as one instrument in my mind so yeah why not yeah in many ways it's like a snare top and yeah bottom, just right? use one compressor i mean it's the same like waveform coming in or not the same waveform, but the same general same source. source. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. What about you, Joe? Um, I, like, in theory, that's what I want to do, too. You know, and like on paper, that's like <laughs> what I would like recommend. Life makes it so much harder. I know, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do as I say, not as I do. Um no, but I, yeah, I, I guess, I guess because of the fact that, you know, going back to what we said about kind of using them as like a, a EQ on faders kind of thing, that kind of messes that workflow up for me a little totally bit, you know? Does. So, so yeah, I find myself compressing them separately. Um, you know, maybe, you know, the settings, like whatever, you know, whatever works for either of them. I'm not like glued mm-hmm. to that, you know, probably a slower attack time to allow some, you know, some punch to come through. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I usually compress them separate to kind of maintain that, that EQ on faders workflow thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, s- since a DI is completely bleed free, you can get away with a heck of a lot of compression on it. You can do yeah. really stupid shit with that, yeah. but you can't do the same kind of stuff with a mic. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I tend to live in the world that Brendan just described where, you know, I've got both of those going to a group and on that group, I compress them as a base signal, mm-hmm. but very often I, also have a separate compressor on the di only mm-hmm. uh, specifically because things like like slapping and popping that cuts through on a di like crazy in like uh-huh. a very unpleasant yeah, crappy way yeah. so i always want to pull those back yeah um 
And, you know, I've got a lot of bass players who's like, they're, they're going through like, you know, 10 years of catalog for an artist. Some of which is like super mellow. Some of which is like super poppy, like slap pop stuff. Yeah. So, um, you know, getting that little bit of extra control, uh, just to kind of like tame some of what might be crazy, uh, transients from like slapping and popping on the DI, I, I will almost always do. Um, and then I've got another stupid trick that, um, I very often do. So, you know, since the DI is such a clean signal, um, I very often take a duplicate of it and I take a duplicate of it and I low pass it. So the only thing that's coming through that fader is like 60 and below, 60 and below of that DI. And then I compress the hell out of it, Mm -hmm. compress the hell out of it to the point that it sounds like a Moog. It sounds like a sub fatty or something like that. It sounds like a synth bass. Mm -hmm. And then I'll take that and I'll have my quote unquote sub bass fader. Right. You know, so when we get into like songs that are like a little bit more of that, like 90s R&B feel, like a little bit more kind of moving quickly, higher energy, I might pull that sub back. But then when we get into something that like needs to feel engulfing or like kind of ballady or like just deep, mm-hmm. having that on a single fader and just being able to bump it up 6 dB is super super cool nice yeah yeah and then you get into the complexity of like kick drum bass relationship Mm -hmm. well if i put all the subby stuff on its own fader i can just side chain compress only that and then the whole rest of my bass signal stays like the same and stays and it works but then my subby bass fader is never in the way of my kick drum right that's right that's it which is kind of like a poor man's multi. yeah i was gonna say that's like (laughs) well it's it's on faders it seems like a, an I'm elegant favorite. solution to like rather than just doing a side chain dynamic EQ or multiband comp on your bass group from the kick drum. So 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 let's talk about that. Um, I mean, Brendan, what's what's the purpose with you know doing a side chain or whatever comp on your bass? Like, why why do people even do it? I mean, it? I would say usually it's to make room for the kick drum, right? Like that kick bass relationship. Put a and oh, how does oh, it work? impact. How do you how set do it up? You work? How does it work? Put it on the bass group or whichever bass channel, right? And then you set the sidechain input to be a send from the kick drum channel. And then you choose which band you want to dip every time the kick drum hits. So Yeah, so, so basically every time the kick hits, it compresses yeah. the bass, right? So it kind of just pushes the bass out of the way for those kick hits. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the bass comes back when the kick is not right. hitting, right? right. So usually like fast attack and to get it away from yeah, pretty fast pretty, release. Pretty fast release yeah. yeah. Hey, sorry. I don't mean to derail here, but how do you side chain on a profile? Um, in the little tab area, that's just to the right of the compressor. You've got a uh, key source self and you have to switch to something else, but it's the same source for, for comp and gate on a profile. Yeah. What do you so switch you might it actually to? Have to go to the gate tab? You'd, you'd have to switch it to like, like, input one okay so okay okay so it's like that and it's like a direct out pick off or something it's like uh you can pick the pick off i believe you can pick top of channel uh pre-fade uh insert return stuff like that okay got it um cool sorry didn't mean to derail i just no 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 no, talking about it and you know most desks at this point are capable of doing you know from from an x32 all the way to you know a a quantum seven or whatever you know there's some Mm -hmm. way to do it um and it's a pretty common trick. It's a pretty common trick in, you know, the studio too. I uh, guess yeah. used there all the time. Now, I guess what, what I was laying out is a little bit different than full bandwidth compression, 
right? Because mm -hmm. what I'm usually trying to do is only get the low yeah. end of the bass out of the way of the kick drum rather than having the compressor duck the whole bass. And let's be real. Like if you've got, you know, a solid, strong kick drum, when it hits, you're not really going to hear that the, the bass kind of went away for a second, yeah. right? Because mm -hmm. your, your ears are going to focus on that, that impact and that hit. But if you want to do a slightly better, more elegant solution, you can do it with something where you actually break up the bands. And there's a few tools for that, multi-band compression or dynamic EQ. Not every desk has the ability to do that, but there's a heap of plugins that can do that. And then you do the same thing that Brendan laid out, where you have the compressor triggered by a sidechain that is fed from the kick drum, but you set it so that it's only taking out, let's say, the lows in the bass. Every time that kick drum hits, it takes out only the subby lows. Yeah. Right? That's that's the sidechain, baby. That's, that's it. That's the sidechain, baby. I'm trying... Who's the... Uh, <laughs> who's the... I don't know who who made who made that famous. I don't know. Me, duh. <laughs> you, you, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I I would say that this this whole side chain kick bass thing probably came from from dance music. Definitely. Yeah. You know, yeah. dance music was using it intentionally to make a whole mix pulse. Yeah. You know, they they'd feed side chain. Uh, they they put a compressor on the entire mix and feed it from the side chain of the kick drum so that the kick makes the whole, the whole mix kind of go like woo 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 in time. I mean, you, that's kind of yeah, sick. I mean, it sounded better than what I just did. But, <laughs> yeah, it, you yeah. see that in a lot of like modern <laughs> pop R and B stuff too. With like, you know, I've seen totally. people like mixing in the studio and just like the Rhodes is side chained to the kick. The keyboards are side chained. Like everything is kind of side chained and like moving a little bit with each the other. Kick yeah. is yeah. king. Kick is king. That's why the, the kick so, drum episode has so many listens. That's yeah. that's why. I yeah. feel like if every episode we talk about the kick drum episode, people will listen to if, it even if more. If we put listen out a t-shirt that says kick is king, will you yeah. buy it? Let us know. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. I would think so. I would I would wear that. Yeah. I think it'd be awesome. Um anyways, uh so what else is there that you guys use on bass? Is there anything in particular? Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a big 1176 guy for bass, you know, so if you got that in the, in the tool belt, some saturation can be nice mm -hmm. too. Um, especially to, you know, if you're trying to get something out of the bass that isn't there, you know, you can kind of use saturation mm -hmm. to fake it a little bit, you know, if, uh, if it's too dark and you're trying to get some presence out of it, you know, you can you know, muck it up a little bit with a Sans amp yeah. or vitamin or something, you know, something, some other amp simulator or something like that, you know, um, yeah. to kind of, yeah, to kind of put, put in what's yep. missing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was going to say like amp simulators, amp, Sans yeah. amp kind of stuff, just to, mm -hmm. depending on the, Sans amps are great. Yeah, I mean, like they're so useful for so many things. And that plugin is like, like that's a, that's a sleeper yeah. hit. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. That and lo-fi. I use the heck out of lo-fi. Lo-fi is sick. Lo-fi is No shit. On bass, huh? Yeah, man. I'll, 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 I'll set like, what is it? The saturation on, on it to like one or point one rather. Yeah. And, you know, put the distortion or whatever on point one and set it down to like 12 bit or something like that. Mm -hmm. And something it does with the low end just makes bass cut through like mad. Yeah. It's awesome. It's awesome. Just give, give it a shot. It's, it's kind of fun. I'm going to check it out. I've used it, I've surprisingly enough I've used it on guitar for like a weird yeah. fuzz guitar effect. Yeah. It's really sick. really cool. So a thing I often notice when doing, you know, 
any any large scale show where you've got you know line array and subs and stuff is when the bass player plays through scales you'll have certain notes just pop out a ton and other notes kind of disappear right and you know it tends to be like it tends to be like the one note that's the the, the baseline of that song and it's like that note is just unreasonably loud and it's just so annoying yeah right so of course immediately like i just want to eq out you know some of the low end or whatever but then it's like since the fundamentals on bass are like so specific to frequency i mean that's not the right way to describe it but like if i take 70 hertz out on a bass i'm basically cutting out one note and then all the notes around it are kind of like still there right um so i find that with bass like your your pa setup and like sub setup and the alignment between the two become so so important right so you know i i I don't think that we can dig into that so much in this episode in fact just go back to the system tuning episode (laughs) right and and take a listen but like bass it's one of those things where like different parts of the room like the low end's completely different and it's like you got to find that way to make it so that you can tell what note is being played on the bass everywhere you are in the room even if the low end's not necessarily the same I usually find that saturation is really good for that. Totally, totally. Versus EQ, you know. Um, right, right. Yeah. You're kind of, again, like filling in sort of what's not there. But yeah, make sure your your tops and subs are aligned reasonably, you know, that not, not crazy out of whack because the bass is going to, the bass guitar more so probably than the kick drum is going to be uh, where you notice it the most. Going yeah. back to what Ryan was saying about, you know, playing different notes around the neck and, and the frequencies going, you know, the low end going off kind of differently per note. Whereas a kick drum, it's just like the same thing every time. You know, it, if, if the subs are way too hot, the kick drum's just going to sound really beefy and it might be sick, you know, but it's going <laughs> right. to, it's going to screw, it's going to screw the bass up, you know? Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll also be very frank about this. I think often the difference between an ultra pro sounding mix and a kind of amateur mix is the drums bass relationship. Mm-hmm. When the drums and bass are like super dialed in and they sound ultra polished, this isn't actually true, but you can almost get a, get away with the rest of the mix kind of being like a little fucked up. And it'll it'll still just hit and, yeah. and people will still feel it and it'll feel great. I I agree with that. I agree with that 100%. That's not me giving you permission to make the rest of the mix yeah. shitty. Maybe vocals too, you know? Yeah, yeah, may, maybe make maybe, other things maybe, okay. Maybe. Right. If they can't maybe. really hear the vocals, yeah. then like, whatever, you know? Like, Damn. <laughs> but if they can hear the kick drum, then fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Kick is king. <laughs> kick is king. No, but, but, but really, I think if you get, if you get your, your, your drums and bass super dialed in, you are really, really far along. Yeah, you know everything else. That yes, you should get them all super dialed in, and of course vocals. But like, but if it you can, can get fa- that foundation. People yeah. will dance, the, and the rest can fall into place like a lot quicker. I feel like you know for sure. In if, fact, all the rest of the instruments should just be one more episode. Right, it's like the <laughs> the, the rest of it is just like almost more subjective at that point, rather than like, or or it can be. You know what I mean? It can be like to taste and like totally. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Well, well I guess it's time to move on to the next topic. But you don't need to listen to it because just bass and drums will get you 90% of the way <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. In, in fact, you now have your diploma. You're done. Yeah. You're done yeah. with this school. <laughs> Sick.
<laughs> uh, all right. Cool. Well, thank you. Thank you, everyone, for listening and uh, continuing to listen to all these episodes. Uh, you can email us. It's feedback at lifesoundbootcamp.com, or you can find us on our Facebook group. Um, we're also part of the Pro Sound Web network of podcasts. So go check us out there. And yeah, thanks. All right. Peace. Yeah. Thanks again to our sponsor, Rational Acoustics. Visit www.rationalacoustics.com for information on sales, training, and all things system measurement.